We are in a new series. Uh, we're starting off the new year, and you'll notice that we are looking at who is this one that they call Jesus. And so for the next 13 weeks, we are going to be examining names of Jesus. We're going to be looking at two names per week and hopefully culminating with that so that we get a better understanding of who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. To do that, I want to take a minute and we kind of begin to think, what is in a name? Now, some of you out there, obviously, I hope this morning you remember your first name. Um, if you don't, let me know and we can get some coffee in you and we can kind of help you out there. But I want to ask you a question. What is the significance of your name? Anybody know? Now, some of you might be able to say, hey, I was named this after my father, or I was named this because of X, Y, or Z. But generally speaking, in today's world, we name our children after a name that we like. Maybe it's popular, or oh, it's different, or oh, we like the sound of it, or we like the way that it rings in our ear when we think about who our son or daughter might be. But what we don't necessarily do is name our child after an attribute or attributes that they hold. So this morning, I'm going to tell you, obviously, my name is Trevor, my middle name is Duncan, and my last name is Nunn. And to be honest, I have no idea why my parents decided to name me Trevor. I think they just liked it. They said it was sort of a nice ring to it. Now, Nunn is our last name, and obviously I couldn't change that. That's just what I got. But my middle name, Duncan, does have some significance. Duncan is actually Scottish. Uh, that is my heritage. Someday I hope to go to Scotland and view and see the area of my ancestors because Duncan is part of the Duncan clan. We actually have a crest, a shield. We even have a Scottish kilt, although I wasn't going to wear that this morning because I thought that that might be a little too much for you. Um, but we have a kilt that uh, the Duncan clan wears and all of those things. And so if people come to me and they say, what's the significance of your name? Well, I would say, well, I have no idea why my parents decided to call me Trevor. None is the name that I've gotten, and I believe that it's English. But Duncan does have some significance. What about your name? What about the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's what we're doing. We're going to be looking at attributes of who Jesus is and recognize that each of these names qualify who Christ is. This isn't just something to say. It isn't a filler, but it is a way to describe who our Lord and Savior, Jesus is. And so this morning, we're going to ask this question. We're going to be examining two names. And the question is this. What does it mean to call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, as well as the light of the world? We're going to be looking at Emmanuel, and we're going to be looking at light of the world. And interestingly enough, I find it interesting this morning, giving some of the things that transpired this past week, that we're speaking to both of these today. And I'm going to bring that up in this message. Now, for those of you that are looking, one of the things that I want you to be encouraged about, this is just a little information for you so you can go and kind of maybe have a Cliff Clavin type fact with individuals. How many of you have ever seen Emmanuel and Emmanuel? And you're like, I-E, what's the deal? Somebody spell it wrong, what's going on there? What is it? Is it I or is it E? Well, guess what? It's both. And here's why. Emmanuel, the I, is simply the Hebrew transliteration of the word Emmanuel, and E, Emmanuel, is the 
Greek or New Testament transliteration of the word Emmanuel. So when you see I or E, it isn't a spelling mistake. It's not either or, it is both. And you can go to somebody and you can say, oh, E, Emmanuel, that's the Greek transliteration. Or I, Emmanuel, that's the transliteration from the Hebrew. And you can sound intelligent and maybe be spiritual in that. But here's the deal. Whether it's I or E, the most important thing is it's Emmanuel, God with us. And friends and brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, I think as we look to what transpired this past week in Perry, we need to recognize that amongst the tragedy, amongst the darkness, amongst the hardship, we do have a God that is with us, who is, as we will see in a moment, the light of the world. One of the things that I think is important is to, to kind of look at the aspect of Emmanuel. Before we start off with today's scriptures, I want to just take a moment and say that when we look at the biblical uses of Emmanuel, we find them used only three times in scripture. If you remember back to our Christmas message, we talked briefly about that. We celebrate Emmanuel or God with us. It's found in Isaiah 7, 14, 8, 8, and then obviously our scripture for today, Matthew 1, 23. Now, it was never used as a proper name for anyone. Think about this for a minute. No one else ever is described Emmanuel. The only one who is described as Emmanuel is Jesus. And why is that important? Because as we break this down, Jesus is the only one who encapsulates the reality of Emmanuel. So think about this. Uh, we had the wonderful opportunity of naming our one son Maddox a while back. We thought Maddox is going to be quite unique. It's going to be an interesting name. We're in a town of Panora, only 2,000 people, only to find out that in our town there is also another individual who is named Maddox, who was actually in the same grade as our son, Maddox. And we kind of think, is that unique? The reality is, is when Jesus is called Emmanuel, there is no one else that can be called Emmanuel. And why is that? Because Jesus is wholly unique. We look at this and we see that it signifies a prophetic announcement in Isaiah 7.14. It's a poetic name for God's chosen people in Isaiah 8.8. 8. And it's a fulfillment for, of prophecy in Isaiah. And we see that in Matthew 1.23. In each of these contexts, it signifies victory or salvation because of God's presence among his people. That whole concept is what we speak of today. God with us. Now, interestingly enough, one of the things that we need to look at, and we're going to move through this, is those very words. In a moment, we're going to look at some points that I'm making, and number one is, is simply that Jesus is God. Number two, it is Jesus is God with. And number three, it is Jesus is God with us. It's interesting because so often in Christmas, we speak to our Emmanuel. We sing about our Emmanuel. But do we truly dwell on what it means to have God with us? Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 says this, The Lord himself goes before you 
and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I think that's appropriate for today. I think it's an appropriate message for all of us as we look to what has transpired in Perry. It's tragic. It breaks my heart. It is something that we look and we wonder how much longer, oh Lord, will we have to see these things occur? And lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. I wish I could tell you that this wasn't the first time, and I wish with all my heart that it wouldn't be the last. But realistically speaking, in the world that we are in, we live in a world of darkness, and we're going to speak to that today. But I also want to tell you that even in this world of darkness, what we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is our Emmanuel, who is the light of the world. The first thing that I want to share with you as we look, as we look into this passage of Scripture, is the fact that when we speak to our Emmanuel, we must remember and recognize what was prophesied. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah begins to speak to the people of God who are going through a challenging time. We've looked at the fact that the people of God have been moved into essentially exile, that the Assyrian army has come and defeated the kingdoms of the people of God, and they have been pushed out of their land. Things aren't going well for the people of God, and yet Isaiah comes forward in what he says, that there is going to be a time where a virgin will give birth to a child, and that child will be called God with you. Now think about that for a minute. Think about those words that Isaiah gives. Think about the fact that during that time, Isaiah speaks these words of hope, yet all around, visually, what the people of God see is their lives falling apart. And Isaiah comes forward and he says, amidst the darkness, amidst the tragedy, amidst the challenge, amidst the difficulty, amidst the dispersion, amidst the disruption, amidst the depression, there is going to be a child who will be born of a virgin, and that child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, remember in this that this isn't Isaiah coming forward and saying, oh, you know, there's going to be a child, and we're going to call him Bob. And have a better name. It's popular. The descriptive is what Jesus will do. But then it moves forward, and what we discover in Matthew 1.23 is this. What's the purpose of this? And so we read, to give a little context in verse 22, all this took place, meaning the birth of Jesus Christ, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, meaning the prophet Isaiah, 700 years prior to the arrival of our Savior Jesus Christ. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The purpose of that is to save us from our sin. God with us. So the first thing that I want you to see is this. Who is Jesus? What is the description of who our Savior Jesus Christ is? And the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus is God. Now why is that important? Well, what I want to share with you is this. That the distinguishing factor of the Christian faith 
versus all other religions or religious beliefs and that Jesus is not just a good moral teacher or a prophet among many. He is God in the flesh. And we think about that and we think, oh yeah, Jesus is God, but you have to recognize this unique statement. Every other religious system will say, I can show you the way to God, or if you do enough, perhaps you can get to God, or the individuals that come forward speak about God. And so in every other system, particularly in those other religious contexts, individuals come forward and they say, I can show you who God is. I can tell you who God is. I can steer you toward God. Yet Jesus comes forward and he says, I am God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. There is no discrepancy. People ask Jesus who he is and he says, I am the word. I am God. He doesn't deny that fact. It's a big claim, isn't it? It's something that's important for us to see because if I were to come forward and if I were to tell you, hey, I just want to let you know that I am God, what would you expect? Better yet, if I said that, you might say, hey, wait a minute, I know you had a good time on your trip, but did you perhaps maybe hit your head on something? Are you feeling okay this morning? The only one who can come forward and say, I am God, is the very one who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is. And friends and brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, we have to recognize that that whole foundational piece is the fact that this transcendent being, the one who existed before the beginning of time, who will exist after the beginning of time, the Alpha and the Omega, decided and became God in the flesh. He humbled himself to a babe in a manger. And as we celebrate at Christmas, as we look down at that infant babe, what we see is someone who is an infant yet is infinite, our Savior Jesus Christ. No other religion can claim that a God-man indeed is our Savior Jesus. And that is why Jesus' name, Emmanuel, is wholly unique. God with us. Look at any other religious text. Look at any other religious philosophy. Look at any other spiritual book. And what it will do is it will distance humanity from God or the gods or perhaps some form of a God. God is always in the distance, which leads me to the next point. It is one thing to have someone be God. It is one thing to have that attribute described, but it is a whole nother thing to come forward and say, not only am I God, but I am God with. We look at that, and so often we think God with us. We just go right over that context. But let me lay out the with. The with is why we celebrate. The with is the passionate pursuit of the Father and the Son to come to us and dwell among us amidst our desperate need. Friends, the with is the reason that we celebrate. The with is the reason that we have hope. The with is the reason that today, even though 
We mourn a tragedy in Perry. We have hope for the future when God will set all things new. The with is what connects us wholly to the king in our brokenness and our fallenness. God with us. One of the things that I want to share with you is this, that the Bible is the story of God's persistent desire to dwell with his people. This is also wholly unique in the scriptures. Every other religion speaks of gods or gods who are distant or far, who you have to ascend to or find or discover. And they couldn't be bothered with humanity. They don't want to dwell with humanity or, and I'll just leave it at this, they use humanity for their own explicit desires. Yet totally different in our Emmanuel, Jesus being God is with. It is God saying, I want to be with my creation. I want to be among you. And friends, today, what a great comfort that is as we sit here as we dwell in worship, recognizing that we have our Emmanuel, God with us. Now, more important, one of the things that I want to share with you, for those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, I want you to take a minute and I want you to look around at everybody. Do you recognize that God is with us? And the with is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that is dwelling among us in our hearts and in our lives. That when you look to a brother or sister in Christ, you look upon the very eyes of God through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not gods. Okay? I don't want to become heretical or anything along those lines. But the Holy Spirit within us is God's story of his desire to dwell among you. The with, the connection that draws us closer to him. Interestingly enough, I want to take a minute and I just want to speak to our lives. Has anybody gone through something difficult this past year? Anybody go through something challenging in 2023? You can raise your hand. Okay. Anybody go through something difficult in 2022? Okay. 21? Twenty. Okay. Nobody's raising their hand. Has anybody not gone through anything difficult? Okay. It's interesting. If we look at that, we look and we think, well, if God is with us, why in the world do we go through challenges? And one of the reasons that we need to remember and recognize this is the world that we are in is broken. We're going to see that in a minute when we talk about Jesus being the light of the world. Friends, I wish I could tell you that, that this place is wonderful, this place is great, that we're not going to have any hurts, we're not going to have any pains, we're not going to have any tragedies, we're not going to have any hard times, we're not going to have any shootings in Perry. But I can't. And while I'm not gloom and doom, I just want to let you know that this world that we live in is broken. This world that we live in is not our home. This world that we live in is not what we're destined for. But we have God with, and then we're going to talk about God with us in a minute. The with is what gives us hope. And so in those moments when we're going through challenge, in those moments where you feel alone, in those moments where you wonder, 
Does anybody care? In those moments where the people whom you rely on might turn their back on you, in those moments where the people whom, whom you trust might want nothing to do with you, you as a follower of Jesus Christ still have Jesus, God, with us. And that brings hope. And that brings joy to our heart and to our lives. Dr. David Jeremiah says this about Emmanuel. He says, when everyone else is gone, God draws near and makes his presence known. And that is the wonderful truth of our Emmanuel. I want you to take a minute, for those of you that rose your hand and had gone through something difficult, which should be everybody, in those moments of hardship, in those moments of pain, in those moments where you were struggling, when you looked to your Savior Jesus Christ, you see his strength, you see his compassion, you see his love, you see his mercy, you see his grace, and he brings a peace that passes all understanding. It is those moments in which we draw near to God because we celebrate the fact that we have Jesus, our Savior, but not just our Savior, God with us. Jesus didn't just live and die so that we might have eternal life to then say, I want nothing to do with you. I just want to save you from your sin. Now get away from me, you unholy people. Jesus says, not only do I want to save you, but I want to dwell with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I want to share with you. And I have a place for you in my kingdom where there will be no more hurt, no more pain, no more despair. And as I have a tear in my eye, no more school shootings. That is God with. That is our Savior Jesus. That is our Emmanuel. Interestingly enough, one of the things that um, I dwell on often, one of, the, one of the verses that gives me strength as I walk through either hard times personally or hard times publicly as a pastor is this following passage out of Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Uh, it's one of my favorite, and it says this, but now this is what the Lord God says, he who created you. This is a whole other sermon for another day. But take a minute. This is what the Lord God says, he who created you. This isn't a distant God. This isn't an uninvolved God. This is God with the one who is the artist, the sculptor, the maker, the creator of his greatest masterpiece, which is you. Because you've been created in the image of God. O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine, possessive. Don't miss that. That is God with. It isn't that God just walks along. It isn't that God says, oh, I guess, you know, Trevor needs some help, so I don't really want to hang out with him, but I'm going to kind of walk alongside of him just so that he kind of feels okay. The with in this is possessive. It is wholly encompassing. It is wholly desirable. It is wholly true. And so friends, when you dwell on the with, recognize what you have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The possession 
that God has of you because you are a child of his. And then my favorite part. Anybody feel perhaps maybe like right now they're drowning? Anybody feel like life is getting the best of you? Anyone feel behind? Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, man, I'm only six days in to 2024 and I had all of these hopes and all of these dreams and actually the way things have started off 2024 looks like it could be an even harder year than 2023. Jesus is God with. And he possesses you and he cares for you. And you can claim this, that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I love that. Our Emmanuel, God with us. I will be with you. It's not when you pass through the waters, I will be off at a distance hoping that you will be okay. When you pass through the waters, I might be around. No, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Friends, that brings great confidence and hope to us as we walk in the raging river of what we call this life. It brings hope to our hearts. It brings peace to our minds, recognizing that when we are with our Emmanuel, God with us, the rivers will not oversweep us. Now please hear me on this. I'm not saying that that means that our lives will be easy. It does not mean that we get what we want, when we want, and how we want it. What it means is, is that as we travel through this life, when the storms come, when those things rage, we can celebrate the fact that we have God with us, knowing that they will not overcome us ultimately. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Anybody see some themes in there? Now, we could claim that, but does anybody see some reverberation? The water's raging. Does that sound familiar? God is speaking to the time of Moses when the people of Egypt are going, and they look, and they're all looking, and obviously the Egyptian army is coming and descending upon them, and they come to the Red Sea, and they think, we're in trouble. There's nowhere else to go. We can't go forward or we're going to drown. We can't go backward or we're going to be overcome by the army. It's done. It's over. And what does God do? God dwells with his people among them and with them and provides a means of salvation for them that they cannot do for themselves. And in trust, they move forward through that sea recognizing that the path provided for them is the salvation that they need and it's been given by God. And friends, we have a greater path through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to divide an even deeper sea, which is our sin that separates us from God. And friends, if we would just cross that river through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we move to the land of salvation with him throughout eternity in his kingdom because that is God with us. And then we continue on. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned the flames will not set you ablaze. Can anybody see three individuals saying, yep, I believe it, by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
It's true. I've been there. I've seen it. I know what God can do. I know that this is the deliverance that God has because God was with us in a moment when we were thrown into the fire, when we were going to be burned, when all else had failed. God dwelt among us and saved us from the raging fire. God with us. Whatever you might be going through, wherever you might be, you might be going into a trial, you might be in the midst of a trial, you might be coming out of a trial, I want to remind you that for those of us that are in Christ, we celebrate our Emmanuel, which is Jesus God with us. But interestingly enough, you'll be noticing that there's this final word, us. God with us. And that is one of the things that I think is so important for us to see. One of the things that we must look at. One of the things that we must recognize. Because the us is given wholly and freely. But the us is also an exclusive term that we must come to reconcile and remember and realize. One of the things that I love and one of the things that I think uh, displays this well is the passage out of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It speaks to salvation. The whole reason that Jesus is God with us is so that we might be saved from our sin. And when we recognize that and the dwelling of who God is, Galatians takes on an even deeper meaning. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7 says this, When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full right of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son... God has made you also an heir. That whole context is because we have Jesus God with us. This is a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day, but I want to share with you the idea of what it means to have God with us. We must place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But when we have that salvation, recognize the with connects to the us. And what we have now is a possession of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and we have been removed from the debt of our sin. We are no longer guilty of it, and we are no longer destined for life that is separated from God. But we are destined for a life that is with God. But not only are we destined for a life that is with God, we are heirs to the kingdom. Think about that for a minute. Because of what Jesus has done, because of his life and his death on the cross, when you place your faith and trust in him, you are no longer a slave to sin, but you are set free from the guilt and the penalty of it. But not only are you set free from sin, you are now included into the family of who God is. You are adopted into his family. And not only are you adopted into his family because you are part of his family, you now are an heir to the kingdom. Friends, that is what we have in God with us.
Galatians continues. I want to just share this with you. It says, because you are sons, now that is sons and daughters, God sent a spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter of the living king. And God has also made you an heir. What we celebrate when we talk about our Emmanuel or God with us is the fact that we've been saved from our sin, but not just saved from our sin to wander aimlessly on earth with no purpose at all. We've been saved from our sin to become a son or a daughter of the living king, to be an heir to his promise, which is the kingdom that will come. But one of the things that we must remember is simply this. It does not say God with all, does it? Emmanuel is not God with all. It is God with us. An exclusive claim. One that will irritate other religions, that will irritate other philosophies, that will irritate other prophets or spiritual individuals. Because the claim in and of itself is what divides believers from unbelievers. It is the fact that if you believe in Jesus Christ, that in the reality of who he is, is that he is God in the flesh and that he is God with us. It is what then includes us into the kingdom. The us in this statement is exclusive. It does not say God with all. It says God with us. Those who have humbled themselves before God and cried out for their need for a savior. And so lovingly this morning, I ask you simply this. If Jesus is God with us, will you be with God? And how you be with God is not from just some experience. It isn't just sitting in a pew. It isn't just coming to church. It isn't just ticking things off of a box. It is dwelling with God as your Savior. Friends, what are you doing to be with God? Because you have God with us in our Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. You have a God who has demonstrated, in fact, that the quality of his name is true. Jesus encompasses every statement in that. Jesus is God. Jesus is God with. And Jesus is God with us. But what are you doing to be with him? We've looked at that name. We've discovered the fact that one of the things, one of the attributes of Jesus is our Emmanuel. And now we're going to transition to the fact that Jesus is also described as the light of the world. I love that fact too, and one of the things that I think is so important is to remember that he also encompasses that holy and truly in his name. The second name, light of the world, if you'd like, it's tufas to cosmo in Greek, the light of the world. And obviously the thes there are descriptive of the attribute of who Christ is. And why is Jesus the light of the world? Well, one of the things that I want to share with you is simply this, because the world is dark. I find it so interesting, and again, I look at the sovereignty of who God is as I was 
working and preparing on this message, as I was looking at things, I was kind of going, okay, we've got a manual on light of the world, and, and, and this is kind of how it's set up, and I know this, and I know what's there, but I'm like, why these two, and God, why did we put these two together? And then, as I've said before, we see the tragedy in Perry. And it is a dark world that we are in. When we look at what was done, when we look at what will be done in other shootings, we begin to say, where in the world is our world gone? How much longer, oh God, will we have to live with these realities? How much longer will we have to move forward in this world? And interestingly enough, what we need to remind all of ourselves is simply this. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. This is not the end for those who are in Christ. This world is dark. And with all my heart, I wish I could be some fun pastor that says, oh, you know, the world's great, etc., etc. Now, please hear me. I'm not a gloom and doom person, but I am speaking biblically. This world is not meant for us. And friends, I pray that we will come up with systems and forms and that perhaps this world will get better. But what I will tell you is, ultimately, the only thing that will make this world better is the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ to remove us from this world into his kingdom of which we now belong if we are followers of Jesus, trusting in our Emmanuel, the light of the world. It's interesting. We look and uh, we see... The idea, and the next point that I want to make, it's obvious, is, is that Jesus is the light of the world. Interestingly enough, the phrase light of the world occurs three times in the New Testament. We see it in Matthew 5.14, John 8.12, and John 9.5. It is very distinctive as it is only spoken by Jesus. Think about this for a minute. No one else says, I am the light of the world. The only time that we see it in Scripture, while there are other references to the light of God, to God being light, the only person that says, I am the light of the world is Jesus. It is the second statement of the seven I am's that Jesus makes, all qualifying who he is. I am, insert qualification. And here Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's a bold statement. That's a big thing to say. And the reason that we have to recognize that is, number one, Jesus is reminding individuals that the world indeed is dark, but yet he is the light that has broken through to bring salvation, hope, peace, rest, comfort, mercy, grace to his people because indeed being our Emmanuel, Jesus is the light of the world which is dark. But interestingly enough, he also uses it twice to refer to himself. John 8, 12, which is our passage for today. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love the theme there. 
I love how the authors use descriptives that we can understand, but I also love the fact that Jesus qualifies and quantifies who he is. I am the light of the world. Now, how many of you have a bright flashlight? Anybody have a, okay. I've got one that's probably about this long, right? And, and to be honest with you, like I could probably use it as some sort of battering ram or a baton that I sometimes take with walks on me uh, as I'm going through the, the, the neighborhood. And for those of you that are in the neighborhood, I apologize if for some times I might shine that light on you because it's like this bright spotlight. But if, if light is there, right? If there's light around us, the function of a flashlight is nothing. I mean, if I came to you right now and I said, oh gosh, it's hard to see, I'm gonna turn my flashlight on, you would look at me and you would say, well, wait a minute, what's the, what's the reason here? I mean, there's plenty of light around us. But what I will tell you is if, if, this, if this room was dark and I shined that light, we'd be grateful for it because we can see. And the reason that I bring that up and the reason that I bring the flashlight is this. Too many people in our world assume that the lights are on. Friends, I'm going to tell you in our world, the lights are off. The world is dark. And the world desperately needs the light of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And how much more appreciative of it are we when we see that the true light shines through our Lord and Savior Jesus because he is the light of the world. But better yet, what I love about this is notice what it says. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Friends, are you following him? Are you following him with your whole heart? Are you following our Emmanuel God with us who is with you when you go through hard times, challenges, difficulties, and disruptions? Now here's what I also want to tell you. How often do we read this and say, oh, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And then what? We follow Jesus and something happens that we don't like, that we don't want, that we don't desire, that we don't hope for. And we begin to say, well, wait a minute, that seems to be a lie because I am following you and my world seems dark. The reality is, is that the light is not external. The light is Jesus. And so even though the world around us may be dark, when we follow Christ, we will not walk in darkness. Why? Because we possess our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the light through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Friends, one of the things I want to tell you is this, that there's a twofold aspect to this because Jesus being the light being the one who goes into the world to bring about light to the dark world, of which this is not our home, draws us to himself. And when we place our faith and trust in him, we become what? His possession. But interestingly enough, we become his possession not to what? Just have the light of Jesus, but to be the light of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we become light to the world. And that is the next point that I want to make. As followers of Jesus, we are to be the light of the world. We look in Matthew, we see it stated 
you are the light of the world. Go and be the light of the world. We always say this kind of at the end of our uh, Christmas service. Some of you might have been here with it. It's uh, one of my favorite things. Uh, We speak to the light of Christ. We've finished, essentially, the five candles of Advent. We've lit the Christ candle. We recognize that the light of Christ is what sort of brings out light into the world. It removes the darkness. We talk about how it emanates from Jesus, and then we stand in a circle, and from the Christ candle, we begin to what? Pass the light. And it's a wonderful visual representation of the light of the world, starting with Christ, being passed to us because he is our Emmanuel. And as we share the light of God and we become followers of Jesus Christ, the light overcomes the darkness. And so Jesus turns and he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And interestingly enough, as we look to the world today, as we look to what has transpired, friends, what I want to share with you is this. Our world is a dark place. It is true. That is the reality. But what I will tell you is this. The world is not in darkness. The world has been given the light of the world, which is our Savior Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith and trust in him, we become the light. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you is this. What are you doing to be the light of the world? Friends, one of the things that I would tell you is simply this. As the world becomes increasingly dark, we become increasingly brighter when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. Lovingly, what I want to tell you is if God should choose to make the world even darker, your light will not go out because you have Jesus Christ with you. One of the things that I want to share with you as I give the analogy of that flashlight, as the sun sets, as things get darker, that flashlight becomes brighter and all the much more important and all the much more useful and all the much more praised. And so this morning as we look, as we see the darkness of our world, as we look to the tragedy of what happened in Perry, friends, what I want to share with you is simply this. Do not let the darkness overcome the light, but be the light and share the good news of the gospel with others. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know whom, but I do know this, that God will take what has happened and he will use it for his good and his glory. Somehow, some way, somewhere, someone, if they're following the light of the world, God will use them to bring about good from what darkness tried to overcome. Friends, we look at this, and we've looked at two names of Jesus. We've looked at our Emmanuel, and we've looked at the light of the world. And what I want to share with you this morning is, is we're going to be looking over the next 13 weeks at 26 names. But I also want to tell you is that's not exhaustive. 
There are some 84 attributes that describe Jesus, and even those 84 attributes don't describe him wholly and fully, but every single one of them describe an attribute of Jesus that are true of him, of who he is, what he has done, what he will do, and what is coming because of who Christ is. What's in a name? Well, there's a lot in the name of Jesus. Our Savior, our Emmanuel, the light of the world. This morning, I want to leave you with simply this. As Emmanuel, Jesus has come to save us from our sin for a purpose so that as the light of the world, we can shine his light into the world. So this morning, I just take a minute and I want you to contemplate that for a moment. Friends, what can we do? Where can we go? Whom can we visit with to be the light of Jesus Christ? Now, let me tell you this. As the light of Christ, you don't go out into a lit world. You go out into the darkness. But you go out with the light because you have Jesus as our Emmanuel, God with us, who won't leave you, won't forsake you, who will walk with you and be with you as you shine the light in this dark world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for you. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for these names of who God is. Our Emmanuel, God with us, and the light of the world. Father, help us to take these two attributes, these two names that describe our Savior, and to reflect deeply on them, recognizing that if these were the only two, if these were the only two names, it is enough. And yet, what we're going to discover is there's many, many more. The depth and the breadth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is unfathomable. The one whom we worship, the one who created the heavens of the earth, has chosen to dwell among us and to give us salvation. But not just salvation, but to give us a place to dwell in his kingdom, not separated from him, but with him as co-heirs. Father, what a joy that is. Father, I pray that as we go about this week, whatever darkness might be trying to overcome us, that we would recognize too that the light of the world has overcome that darkness and because we've placed our faith and trust in you and possess the Holy Spirit, we too are the light of the world. And so Father, help us to shine our light brightly. However that may be, whatever context it may be in, whomever you bring across our path, Father, may we be light to this dark and hurting world. May we bring hope and joy and peace and comfort to those whom are hurting. Father, may we not do it in our own strength, may we not do it of ourselves, but we may do it through the source of that light, which is you, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, in that, I pray that little by little, day by day, we would trust that you are indeed overcoming the world, that you have overcome the world, and you will overcome the world. And a day is coming where there will be no more hurt, no more pain, no more tears, no more death, 
And Father, it's so pertinent to our world today. No more school shootings. But that day will be when you come to claim your bride, those who have placed their faith and trust in you. That we will dwell with you throughout eternity in heaven. That you will be our source of strength and peace and guidance and direction. And until that day comes, Lord, help us to know that you are God with us and help us to shine our light brightly for you because you are the light of the world. We thank you. We love you. We pray all of these things in your name, dear Jesus. And we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say,